Welcome to Pod Save Africa. 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 Welcome. Hello, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's your host Ake Adeyadirele, and I have the pleasure of being here with your co-host, Tony Consular Adeyadirele. Today we have a variety of things to talk about across the continent, and then we're going to take us into those top stories. This is definitely an emergency episode as it breaks from our pattern of releasing episodes once every other week, but these are critical issues that need to be discussed imminently. Yes, hi Positive Africa. Um, as Akeri mentioned, there's been a number of ongoing um, issues or things going on on the African continent, and we just wanted to give you some information about some of these issues. Um, We've tried to use social media to do some digging and to try and provide as much information as you should know on these issues. Of course, again, if there are any topics that we've missed out on in the course of this episode, you please feel free to reach out to us and we'll update our information or correct as needed. So we'll be talking about the number of protests that have been going on in Nigeria, there's the NSAS protest. In, Nam- in Namibia, excuse me, there's the Shut It All Down protest. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's the Congo is Bleeding protest. In South Africa, there's perhaps a smaller protest going on right now that's called the EFF in Senegal. Um, but no protest really is small. Small would be wrong to describe it as. And so we just wanted to talk about a few of these demonstrations. This year, 2020, has been a hard year, but it's also been an eye-opening year in terms of people standing up for their rights, figuring out that they need, they deserve justice, and we've seen it all play out in the form of those protests. Speaking of in South Africa, earlier this year, in June, there were protests against gender-based violence. Um, and we've spoken about that, um, but coming to a more recent event, we are also going to be talking about the EFF in Senegal. Awesome, awesome. So, starting with um, what's going on in South Africa. In South Africa, uh, there's a FN Senegal, uh, FN Senegal uh, protest going on. Um, what had what has happened is that Brendan Horner. A 22-year-old white farmer was found dead after being tortured and tried tied to a pole near his farm in Senegal, a free state province of South Africa. He was allegedly killed by two black South Africans. Um, what has now happened is that thousands of protesters have gathered in Senegal uh, as of Friday, October 16th, which was yesterday, um, in support of the Economic Freedom Fighters Opposition Party. Um, the demonstration was organized in response to a protest planned by the Afri Forum Civil Rights Organization and other groups on the same day in Senegal over the alleged attacks on the farmer. On the farmer, there have been reports of stone throwing and, and, and minimal but but evident tension within that area. Um, 
the 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 emotions you know ran high on Friday because those two black suspects appeared in South African uh, 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 court on on Friday, uh, as of, which was yesterday. I keep forgetting that was yesterday, which was yesterday. Um, and what is happening now? What is growing is we're getting ahead of the story and telling you guys because um, this, of course, is perhaps an indication of some of the unresolved racial tensions in in South Africa um, around a variety of things from from wealth to uh, the crimes of the crimes and the evils of apartheid that, depending on who you talk to, have not been fully resolved or or, or rectified at this time. Um, and this is just another, not just just as is, is, is unfair which put it, but this is another way in which it's, it's manifested. Um, of course, um, the, the way in which the way in which um, this has manifested, you know, could have just been two people doing a very evil deed to another person. Um, I may not be indicative of, of a color-based crime, but it, it appears to have been so from from a lot of the information we have so far. Now, of course, this this case is still developing, and we promise to keep you guys um, 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 apprised of all that is going on. Now, to emphasize and to kind of recontextualize everything, the EFF we mentioned earlier, which is the Economic Freedom Fighters Party, um, they represent poor black South Africans who feel left out, who feel um, disenfranchised by the post-apartheid prosperity that the country apparently has, but the vast majority of, of, of black folk, poor folk, um, have not had the opportunity to benefit from. So a lot of their protesters were out there saying that, effectively saying that, you know, see, this is this is pretty much evidence on 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 South Africa's general problems. It says that you know, unfortunately, the the, the white uh, part of South Africa has a stranglehold on on the economy. Um, and there hasn't been equity in in helping um, people and generations rise out of poverty, poverty for the people who were, you know, disenfranchised for the decades of, of, of apartheid. So um, that's definitely one perspective, um, and, and that's the argument they're making, and that's why they were protesting. I'm only calling some additional thoughts. Yeah, I think, it, like Akedi mentioned, it just points to the ongoing tensions, racial tensions that exist within South Africa. Um, I believe that he, he was allegedly killed by two black farmers, but I believe the EFF is essentially protesting and denying those allegations. Um, I believe that those two black farmers have either appeared in court or are to appear in court. And so we'll just keep you updated on how that goes. Uh, we're hoping that this... Well, I guess hoping is not the right right word, but we're looking to see if this might escalate to a bigger issue, and if it does, what comes out of it, and what issues are addressed from these protests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a final kind of note on that. Um, South Africa, like like many other countries that are former colonies, are have incredibly complicated um, histories and current issues. existence. Um, you know, equity and you know. Ha- there, there were a lot of crimes done in the past and figuring out a way to equalize the society and build a better society now is a challenge of both South African leadership of everybody involved, both the whites and the blacks in South Africa, to figure out a way to build a country that's fair and, op- and has equal opportunity for all. Um, we wish the South African people um, the best on that journey and we look forward to seeing their successes in the future. So we'll be moving on to the next country that we'll be speaking about, and this is uh, Zimbabwe. In 
in Zimbabwe right now, there's there's been a campaign on um, focusing on the detention of a 22-year-old student and activist, Takungwa Nagajiri. He was held in 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 remand prison for about 30 days, and so the campaign has been gaining momentum, especially on social media, trying to put pressure on the current president, President Emerson Mangagwa's government to release the students. Um, he, Naga, the student that was that is jailed is the president of the Zimbabwe National Students Union, SNASU, and he was arrested last month for protesting outside a car hire company, the Impala Car Rental. The company had been under pressure from campaigners to release details of the alleged use of one of their vehicles in the suspected adoption of another student activist, Tawanda Muchewea. Tawanda was uh, allegedly snatched in July by suspected state agent in Bulawayo and was tortured for three days. His abduction is has appeared to have been caught on CCTV, so this is not something that they can deny. So, um, the hashtags free taku, free taku, taku, Nagatiri has been attracting wide international attention as supporters call for his release. Um, because Zimbabweans have been banned from taking part in demonstrations, which is probably another issue in itself, mm-hmm. they have been using social media to petition against human rights violations. Um, in August, activists started highlighting abuses, including these abductions, under the hashtag Zimbabweans Lives Matter, which has attracted the attention of celebrities around the world and has attracted our attention too, which is why we're speaking about it now. Um, the arrest of Ngaziore is the latest in series of actions against opposition figures in Zimbabwe. Um, Sandaize Mahere from the opposition's electoral bloc movement for democratic change alliance amongst the prominent politicians to demand his arrest. Um, he called um, the, the Zinasu president who has been arrested for staging a faithful protest was on Friday, which is just yesterday, granted a $5,000 Zimbabwean dollars just to clarify bill. As part of the bill conditions, he will not be allowed to participate in any public gatherings and he will be expected to surrender his passport. But in addition, he will be expected to report to the police once a week, every Friday. Yeah. Um, thoughts on this? I guess, you know, Zimbabwe, if, if you guys have been following the podcast, I guess understanding some of the stories that have come out of the, 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 the country, um, you know, the current president, Magwaga, Magwaga is, is, a rep, is a replacement and former vice president to the former president, uh, Robert Mugabe, who, as many people okay. know, was was the one was the one of the longest running um, presidents in the entire Afghan continent, and he he passed away recently. Um, and and he you know was 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 cut out of office effectively by bloodless but military coup. Um, now the guy who's replaced him effectively is not much better as far as from from the indications we received so far. We really truly hoped. Um, that he would be better, even though there wasn't a lot of evidence to point to the fact that that was going to happen. 
um, he was a vice president for the other guy. So you know, it's 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 uh, it's terribly unfortunate. And you know, now you see just kind of this history, this this continuous history of uh, suppression of, of opposition and suppression of civil rights. Shown again, even so much so that it's caught on, like it's on video, um, right? And you know, the hashtag free tackle. Um, we, we we stand with them, and we hope that we, we hope and pray that you know that the, the people of Zimbabwe are successful in getting um, justice for these folks who have been harmed, unfortunately, by their governments. Um, just it, it's you're going to see a trend with a lot of the stories we we tell, um, and pay a deep attention to them. Pay attention to how these um, tactics are deployed to suppress opposition in African countries. These are these are not tactics that are unique to African countries. The European and Western world have used them in the past to suppress tactics, but um, you know, hopefully, we can work towards work steadfastly towards change and growth in, in our countries, much as many countries in the Western world manage to, or are managing to, or are in the process of doing so. Yeah, as just as an FYI, one of the trends that you see in all of these stories is that much of the coverage of what's going on is shown on social media and not through regular media. So that is true. You, if you if you do want to look more into these issues, you might find it difficult because the the regular media coverages that you would expect from all of your regular sources of news are not covering this information, or at least not in depth at all. You would probably have to do intense deep search or go refer back to social media to see any information about these causes. Um, and that's one of the suppression tactics that are being taken out. Another worry, though, is that even in information that you do see as a media level, you have to look at it with a grain of salt because you might not know what's really being said and what's being misinterpreted to seem a certain way. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just a reminder to every listener to to really be critical in finding information um, and observing it from all lens points um, once you see that information. Just a, just a quick crash course to our listeners on how um, these things typically happen um, and how the news and information cycle runs in many African countries. Um, one, you know, the news agencies, the most prominent news agencies are usually under significant influence of the government. Whether, whether or not they're state-run you know, agencies, they can always be significant. The film can always be pushed down and they can, be, you know, they can get the, the letter and the notice that, hey, we don't want to hear anything about this and that's the way it goes. Um, you'll find that at least two or three of the stories that we're covering now, you may have never heard of it. You may have never heard of it unless you knew people in those countries struggling and fighting for what is right. If you run a Google search, you're finding results that are from 2015 and, and finding it difficult. It is difficult to find this information. I think that's a value add for us at Port Save Africa. Really working, really kind of beating the beating the digital landscape to see, okay, where are the stories, what people tell us, um, where are the perspectives, are these perspectives representative of how a lot of people feel? Um, and that's what, that's what we try our very hardest to do. So, um, yeah, um, do you want to move on to, let's move on to the next one. Um, so now we have to yes. go to Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, this one is digitally associated with the hashtag Congo is, is bleeding. Now, I, I don't think it'd be fair to start this story without providing some context. Um, so Kong, the Democratic Republic of, Republic of Congo has um, rich reserves of something called coltan, right? Um, that resource 
uh, becomes something called metallic tantalum. Um, it's a heat-resistant powder that can hold a lot of electrical charge. This makes it super valuable in like creating capacitors, lots of electronic elements, and then things that control current flow inside like tiny little circuit boards. Guess where tiny little circuit boards are? They're on your iPhones, they're on your laptops, they're on literally every electric device um, that we use. And as the World Cup becomes even more and more electricized, that the more valuable that resource resource becomes. Uh, now, the Democratic Republic of Congo, either directly or indirectly, has been um, the site of many, many different companies sourcing for that material called time. And unfortunately, because of some of the metal sources, things have been acquired the country its citizens have been significantly affected um report, reports though not particularly confirmed by any major news sources yet are that you know child workers are using these things in the most unsafe of conditions so it's a mine for this valuable resource a lot of them get hurt and get harmed etc etc they're underpaid labor laws are not followed you know people are suffering um, and then people are punished for any form of of of, of dissidence or anything like that so if you know congo's history um, we're all going all the way back to colonialism, thinking about King Leopold and the evils that were done as part of that. That's 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 history. It's 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 it, it, it is painful to see this again. Um, just giving a little more backstory. The UN they they performed a mapping exercise to understand, you know, kind of like the hunt the the like human rights violations are currently to in in the Democratic Republic of Congo between 1993 and 2003 that were that have not been prosecuted um their report said that over four million congolese died as a result as a, as a direct or indirect result of conflicts um and more than 40,000 girls and women were victims of sexual violence and around three million people were displaced now the republic the democratic republic of Congo is not that big a country right it has sorry it has a, a population of about Let's see. I believe what was the last check? I'm just verifying the current numbers. Du, 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 du. And it has a population of about 83 million people, right? So, as a percentage of the entire population, it is a significant number of people that are just vanished or have been affected significantly by just all the violence and things that have been happening in the continent now so um they, they, they there there's there's a video on social media that was released recently that shows that these crimes were directly related to the you know natural resources that the democratic republic of congo has those resources include coltan um which i mentioned earlier gold diamond um coltan is in everything like i said already aerospace equipment electrical things literally everything um and the the video effectively implicates and, and says accuses the us the uk france of uh, and maybe not the governments themselves but individual parties and entities within those countries of working with neighborhoods neighborhood countries um to effectively invade the drc commit human rights violations um under the 26 year uh, regime of joseph kabila so that's the context now what's happening today? Congolese women are leading demonstrations of over thousands of people in four major cities across the country to call for actions on those war crimes. I mean, these are women who have seen their, their husbands, their, their, their sons lost to this. These are women who have been unfortunately raped, killed, 
displaced, kidnapped, you know, all types of horrible, horrible things that have happened um, in this continent, uh, in this country, almost as a result of their their, their, their resources um, and, and just everybody trying to take advantage. Okay, yes, well. yes. I want you to understand that in the context of this historical crime. I mean, the, the, the numbers of people that King Leopold was supposed to have killed was bordering on 10 million people. Right, almost double the Holocaust numbers, and 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 it's it's terrible to have to compare two unbelievably tragic events. But it's important that we understand that lots of evils have happened in humankind, and they're still going on. These things are still happening, right? Um, and it's 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 on us to make sure that we're we're advocating for and being involved in building a better future, not just for us where we are, but for people all over the world. Um. um yeah. It, it's it's super painful. Um, the a peace lord there, uh, Dennis Mukwege, um, whose foundation, Dennis Mukwege Foundation, he's a doctor effectively that was that's helped and, and saved and helped you know thousands of, of survivors of sexual violence. And he won a priest prize fairly recently for it. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't even able to attend the, the protest because people 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 were essentially threatening him with death. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I think I word vomited a little bit there when it comes to some additional thoughts. Like you said, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult having to have people who have suffered these crimes, having to almost leave these crimes in form of demonstrations. You know, like you mentioned, the UN performed this exercise to document the number of human rights violations that were committed over this decade and did nothing with it, you know, and, and that's part of the problem. And because they did nothing with it, it's caused these crimes to eventually go on. You know, they continue to be perpetrated because they were never prosecuted or justice was never served in the first place. And it almost causes this country to kind of, to, it's, What's the word? It, it reverses their development mm-hmm. in a certain way. Because this is, as you mentioned, this is a country that has natural resources. The best of the best natural resources that you can name, Congo has it. So by any indications, this should be a country that should be more developed, should should have a lot of progression beyond the point that they do, and they don't because of these crimes. And because these crimes continue to happen. You know, four million people dying is not a joke. You know, people being raped, being displaced is not a joke. And Congo is, the, the DRC is not a small country in terms of size. It might be small in terms of population, but there's so much that could be done within that country that is missed out on due to due to these atrocious, atrocious events that have gone on in the country. So... We here at Positive Africa are just here to say that we stand with the with the Congolese. We stand with the the, the people of from the DRC, um, and Congo is bleeding. So we we will we will continue to push for ways that you can help, that you can support these protests, um, and continue to cover the stories as they they go. A big part in making change is documenting the stories. As we've mentioned already, it's, it's difficult to come across some of this information. It's difficult. It's not your average, everyday Joe story that you run across. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's important that they be told because if they're not told and if they're not told right no change would come from it right that's that's precisely right so um yeah on on to on to the next one right yes uh the next story that we will be talking about comes from a country called namibia namibia is a country in southern africa so i i saw a lot of uh, indications of protests going on in Namibia, but it was also kind of confused with what may have been, what was going on with South Africa versus slash what may have gone on in South Africa. Just to clarify, because Namibia is a southern African country, it may, some of the protest names may have spilled over to seem like it was going on in South Africa. Um, so over the a couple of weeks here, the Namibian women specifically. This is another trend that we're seeing. Women leading protests uh-huh. um, have been, yes, leading the charge. Have been leading the protest against sexual and sexual gender-based violence. Um, they have been mobilizing through social media again um, to lead this protest, and it was sparked when news arrived that police had found the remains, excuse me, remains of a 22-year-old woman, Shannon Wasapal, resting next to her. Um, in dunes of the port town of Lalvis Bay. So a lot of Namibians led to the streets um, to, to, to campaign against this gender-based violence. Marching through the streets of Windhoek and other Namibian cities, they pledged to keep protesting until sub- substantial political action was taken to address the femicide, rape, and sexual abuse. Unfortunately, sexual and gender-based violence is a persistent problem in Namibia, as well as in several other southern African countries, including South Africa. In particular, intimate partner violence against women and girls, sexual violence by non-partners, and femicide is a persistent problem in Namibia. Reports earlier this year said police were receiving at least 200 cases of domestic violence monthly, while more than 1,600 cases of rape were reported during the 18 months ending in June 2020. So there were <laughs> there were more cases of rape than there were in the number of days in, in that period. Campaigns said that, like in any other part of the world, the months-long lockdown due to the coronavirus has made life even much harder for domestic violence survivors with many of them forced to self-isolate with their abusers. On Friday, while protests were continuing, not this Friday, but the previous Friday, uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, 27-year-old Washiti Thomas was allegedly brutally murdered by her boyfriend because she wanted to end their relationship. Um, Sister Namibia, which is a non-profit promoting women's rights, published on social media a detailed 10-point action plan for the government to implement um, and some of some of the the actions on this plan include like allocating budgets to end gender-based violence creating gender-based violence protection units across the country creating shelters so that it's a safe place for women and children to run to if they want to escape their their partners or anyone looking to harm them making a public sex offender register, getting nurses to implement rape kits so that survivors don't have to wait hours for authorized doctors, 
to institute compulsory counseling um, by amending the Dom- Domestic Violence Act, a rape act, to introduce a national gender-based violence database to improve the protection order system so that it actually protects victims and survivors. And these are just some of the points from the the 10 um, points plan of action. So there have been two national action plans against um, sexual and gender-based violence that have been developed, one in 2016 and 2018. The plans have existed, but they were not being put to action, which is why this new plan was come up with. There's been a lot of back and forth between government and civil society, and criticism of the government is often seen as an attack. Um, late on Tuesday, the government announced its response to the campaigners' petition, saying that um, the current legal and policy environment will be strengthened to deal with gender-based violence issues. The president of Namibia, President Hag, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, Hage Jenob has also met with several of the anti-SGBV, which stands for the Sexual Gender-Based Violence Protesters, in a closed-room meeting to urge them to solve issues collectively. And there's even been videos released from that meeting, which shows that there's a bit of, there seems to be a bit of alliance between the government and its protesters on how to move forward. So we will continue to watch out for that story. It seems that they've reached some sort of a middle ground, even though that we still see that some people are not okay with it. But we'll continue to monitor um, what's going on in Namibia and report on it to you, our listeners. Akedi, what do you think? Uh, the fundamental and unfortunate one, you know, we're Africans, we're an incredibly part of where we come from, but every so often we need to hold up the mirror to ourselves and say, okay, regardless of what the influences are and why we're here, here's where we are. Here's the thing we're doing wrong. Here's how we are failing. Um, and one way we are failing remarkably is our women. All over the continent, stories of gender violence, violence, um, just are, are commonplace. You know, men unfortunately think that they can do whatever they want with any woman. Um, provoked to any form of anger, suddenly women are in mortal danger and it's evidence in Namibia, even unfortunately in South Africa as well, which is why when, you know, I was my, doing my initial research on the story, I was having a hard time figuring out who they were talking about, uh, both because of geographic, you know, proximity and because of because of there being similar issues in both countries. I mean, in many countries around around the continent, really. So um, it is it is heartening to see that you know at least the leadership of the continent seems to be willing to step in and take active measures. Hopefully, eventually, active active measures to to stop this. But really, what's needed in addition to all this is a cultural change, right? That every human being, regardless of gender, is 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 of equal standing and deserves. Um, a right to all of the all of the same rights within a society and no one has any ownership over another person um, and I'm hoping you know truly hoping especially because of, of the meeting of the presidents and the pro- protesters um, that that's there there's uh, there's there's a there's progress but um, it's something we'll have to see and we at Ponce Rafka of course are keeping you abreast of these stories as they occur yeah yeah, I, it's it's maddening the reasons why women's lives be lost. How is it that because you want to end a relationship that you get murdered? 
that was one of the issues that really put a damper in my mood you know and then the second thing is i don't like when i hear closed door meetings mm-hmm. why are you closing the door mm-hmm. you know doesn't everyone get deserve to hear what is being said in these rooms and yes they take pictures they show videos afterwards they come up with a written plan but do we do we actually get to know what is being talked about you know um and so like like we mentioned we'll continue to monitor these stories personal feelings aside personal opinions aside we really do hope the best for namibian women and we hope that their lives are, are safer moving on future yeah yeah um so now we're going on to our next story um this has been perhaps the most publicly and most the one with most widely available information um but we're going to try and do two things at the same time one present the facts but two also presents a perspective on it um now the general story is that the police in nigeria police brutality in nigeria is rampant and has been has taken the lives of many 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 young and old Nigerians over the years, for as long as the Nigerian police force in its current format has existed and even before that. Now, how do we start to context? The specific force that's being spotlighted at this point is called something called SARS, S-A-R-S. It stands for the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, SARS. It's usually called that. now let's go back to the history, right? Um, in the ni- in the very early nineties, there were a lot of um, infamous armed robbers in Nigeria that were one particularly known as Shina Rambo, which is part, part of why they started um, in Lagos. That was causing a lot of trouble. You know, he used to snatch cars. He you know was a, a really brazen guy that would you know shoot at policemen. It was extremely brazen. And, you know, effectively, a lot of people just, I mean, it was almost a cultural myth that people just thought there was nobody that could stop him. It was never going to happen. Um, so the commissioner, so the commissioner of Lagos at the time, and the, his uh, deputy commissioner, somebody called Michael Kiro. And by the way, all this, all this we're taking is from uh, an interview with him with the Daily Trust, which is a Nigerian, Nigerian paper. Um, so, so he, you know, they get, they, he's, he's being interviewed by Daily's Trust and he says, you know, they, they had issues with this, this one group of, of this brand of robbers. Um, so they set up SARS, right? Um, and the idea is that they'd be dressed in plain clothes, you know, they'd have guns and they, for, for, you know, the idea is that they, they, they'd be able to surprise and catch suspects very quickly. Um, and they communicate very effectively with each other and go after armed robbers. Unfortunately, this is, <laughs> Uh, if 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 that was the if that was the issue if that was what they they did um, I don't think the Nigerian people would have an issue at this point in time. However, this group has now evolved into a group that has has committed extrajudicial killings, um, extortion, torture, specifically of young people. You know, we have stories of people you know being arrested, harassed, beaten up just for having longer hair or having an iPhone or having a laptop, you know, now if you, if you were to take a subset of all your friends that have long hair and an iPhone or a tattoo or, or a laptop, that's probably all your friends. But so imagine kind of the danger profile that young Nigerians feel moving around in, in Nigeria. Now, um, we have a wonderful guest on for this episode. Currently, I'm checking in. Are you, yeah, are you there? Can you hear us? Yes. So, uh, brother, Kurde will be kind of lending some perspectives to 
Um, one, you know, his activities, seeing how the diaspora has, has risen up to, to make their voice known and how this is unacceptable and just how this is becoming a, a focal point for overall change. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, and, and he's also going to lend perspectives to kind of some of the social, uh, the social media uh, uh, activities around these protests and how the organizers are, the organizers are organizing themselves. Um, now, speaking of the diaspora, you know, demonstrations against police brutality have happened in over 20 states across the uh, across Nigeria for almost two weeks and many cities around the world. New York, Paris, Philadelphia, D.C., Chicago, Los Angeles, Indianapolis, any city really you can think of because people are people are tired. People are tired of having their, their, their sons and their daughters go out to work and not come back because, you know, the police either kidnap them or 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 have or, decided, or, or, or have decided that yeah. they are criminals just because of how they look right um the logic they use a lot of the times to arrest young folks is that oh they're trying to go after cyber terrorism um saying that it's rampant in nigeria but you know looking at my phone or looking at my laptop does not tell me tell you whether or not i'm a hacker or a, or a coder or anything like that or, fr- or a fraudulent person it's just you know a way to extort people and to harm them now this They've ex- effectively acted with impunity for for decades now. Um, the Nigerian government has promised on multiple occasions to disband them, reforming them multiple times, changing their uniforms, giving them uniforms, doing it, just a variety of things. But the modus operandi has largely been the same: to extort and to to hurt, harm the people of Nigeria. And this extends just be this extends beyond SARS. This extends to every police officer and the police force in general, and to some degree to the army as well. Um, this is a country that does not prioritize the value, that does not value its own people's lives. And Nigerian people are sick and tired of it. They're standing up and they're saying that enough is enough. This is the last time, this is the last generation. Our children will not suffer this, so we're standing. Um, now I'd like to parlay over to Korode to share some of his perspectives um, on, on this. So Korode, just starting, starting with a question about it. Um, you've been perhaps more involved than, than either of us on, on social media, understanding kind of what's going on, how people are are rising up. Do you, do you mind giving us almost a timeline of how you saw things? Yeah, involved? so I believe protests started a little sometime last week. I wasn't even like paying attention exactly when protests started, but but NTAR's protests have happened before. Um, protests of this sort against politicians have happened mm-hmm. before, have been like, I guess, covered on social media, and that has been a major place for people to organize around them. Um, what we're seeing right now is definitely the biggest and like most impactful like version of this sort of thing organized around social media that that we've seen like in our in our generation maybe and it's being championed it's being led by people especially organizations like the feminist coalition people who so in the leadership of that organization you see them on twitter very often these are people who like their day jobs and they do things like like business development on the side and they're bringing those skills even to helping to organize and and like get legal aid for protesters get get like help people attend health emergencies related to the protests just giving people general support keeping people fed at the protests um so i guess what we're seeing is just like really powerful organizing around around social media people coming together and and like really doing whatever they can yeah I think one thing that I really like about this protest is that is the way that it makes everybody feel involved. One big saying or one big commonality with this protest says there is no leader. It makes every every single person 
accountable to each other. Every single person that decides to lend a voice, that decides to donate, that decides to protest is a leader in their own right. And that is empowering the Nigerian people. You know, each day there is a new development, there's a larger gathering, there's more momentum. And it's super impressive. I I just have to say, from standing from the sides and watching and helping or sharing in the way that I can, it's just amazing how empowered you feel. Yes, we're tired and we're a little scared because if change doesn't come, I don't know what would happen. But there's also this energy that it revives in you if you do decide to pay attention and to to share the moment that I've never felt before. Crater, um, uh, you've you've been out to protest yourself. What is the energy like? People, I mean, people, people are angry for one thing, definitely. People are coming, like, I think protest fundamentally, like, a place for people to, to air out. Like, it's, it's an expression, like, I, I think protests are really important because they're, they're a very raw form of expression of people being fed up with the system, or fed up with the conditions that we've been put under, um, and kind of seeing people get this chance to even, like, really just come together. Like, so it's okay, they say, like, make their voices heard, um, um, I think it's a really powerful thing, and that experience alone is is like so worthwhile. Um, that's the energy. It's like people people are coming with full energy. People are coming with hope. People are coming with with, with vitriol even against against that system, which which I think is all really important because you know that's that's the thing that kind of leads us if we're organized enough to to make make things happen, to make change happen. Yeah. One thing I saw last Friday is that in select spaces around Nigeria, in Lagos, in Abuja, and in a few other cities, um, and none of which are coming to mind right now, they held a vigil for the lives lost. And seeing videos from that drove me to tears. But I can't imagine the amount of comfort it must bring to the families to know that the, the lives that they've lost were not, were not meaningless, right? Like, oh now we would prefer to have them alive and well but to know that it's 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 like uh i feel like apart from protesting apart from trying to make change that this is just all a moment for for people to mourn right so like for like a large gathering morning to happen and seeing the candles lit, seeing people gather seeing people to speak about the experiences with, uh, what led to the loss of the lives of these people um, to celebrate them and to mourn them has all just been really impactful and I really hope that the world is watching I hope that people are seeing what's going on and are trying in any ways to to spread the cause or to blend a, a word I tell you what are your, some of your thoughts on this? Absolutely um, one it's, it's remarkable to see just the Nigerian people you know getting up standing up and saying enough um, we are a country that has just seen so much pain and so much suffering at the hands of those we elected to to do better, to, to care about us, to make sure that, that, that our kids get to go to school, to make sure that we have good health outcomes. We have, you know, we have a country that people die because hospitals don't have enough blood or people die because electricity and power is gone or people die because the, the ambulance services don't arrive quickly enough that people die because because 
the police shot steer bullets into your house. I remember growing up, just to share a personal story, um, the police are fighting robbers close to our house and stray bullets actually went into our roof. We didn't live um, in the, uh, uh, we left it, we lived in a neighborhood where at that time that could happen. And um, just, just understanding in the context of how minimal the value of life has been in our country is, 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 is a stark contrast to like what you were just talking about, which is us standing right. and taking a moment to just grieve. Not just those folks we know the names of yeah. that have lost their lives recently, but just the, 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 the millions that have died because of the negligence of the states, because of the systematic and structural issues that are there. I'm not angry at any one policeman or any one, one politician. I'm angry at the fact that we have such a, a broken state system that is not that we have not even considered or pondered to change. And for me to watch so many Nigerians, thousands all over the world stand up and say enough, that means we at least as a force are committed to the fact that we can change and that we will change. At the very minimum, what has happened so far is us flexing our muscles and telling our government that's here. We are not taking nonsense anymore. We want better, we demand better because we can show we can show our power, we can show our force, we can come out and, and march and scream and shout and breathe whatever it takes to see force happen now. You know, we've seen protests happen before, right? We've seen them in Egypt and much mm-hmm. of the Arab Spring that happened. Um, if yeah. that were to be version one of of, of, of of protesting as an action for public change, I hope that we are an evolved version of this where we can leverage this into meaningful change, not just now, not just not just not just in the next election, but today. Talking to all of our elected officials at the local state levels here are the things that need to be done we need better outcomes so that our children and our, ourselves are safer we need to be if if i were to have a dream it would be that we'd be the very last generation of nigerians to suffer the way that we have you know we've we're a young country 60 years old that's at most two generations right right um and for for well over half of that to be just worst version of, of squalor and difficulty that the, that the country has, has put its people to, through it's just it's painful if you take stock of nigeria's progress so far it is difficult to to see silver linings to be honest with you but however what's happening outside the people outside the people that have not gone home since these protests started the people organizing food the legal services healthcare. Ambulances. Aid, ambulances care for each other those that's that is our silver lining that is the hope that is why nigeria will be better that is why we'll progress because fundamentally when pushed to the wall the back right. of it all we all want this country to be a better place we will all want better outcomes for our people regardless of class race wherever you are we all want things to be better um, however, you know, there's there's a roadblock of a political class that has no incentive to make the country better for its people. And now we're 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 putting we're putting the, the road to them and we're saying enough. Um and I'm I'm truly, truly just one grateful to have seen this in my lifetime because I never thought it would happen. Mm-hmm. Not at this yeah. scale. Yeah. But yeah. but I'm also incredibly hopeful that 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 this turns into into something, something truly, true, some truly meaningful change. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I'm hopeful. We're hopeful, immensely <laughs> hopeful. It's almost as if we don't have a choice. Like, um, yeah. the way I look at it, it's, it's our actions right now that determine 
whatever trajectory this heads on. And all we know is that we have to we have to put in our all, however we can, wherever we are, towards this. And I, not to, not to, because I think I am a big fan girl of really the organization and the people who have spearhead, spearheaded the organization of this protest. Mm-hmm. Now, we've already spoken that this is a protest, this is a leaderless protest. But what we're also seeing, seeing is an uncoordinated, coordinated protest. The, the way it started was very organic. You know, it, it didn't start with, it wasn't too developed when it started. But with each day that has passed on, it's more organized, it's more coordinated, and there's more unity. You know, uh, you see trends on social media where if people lose their phones during the protest, people are actually looking for the owners to give them back. Is this <laughs> Nigeria we, we would have seen? No. You know, this is a protest where people, we actually have actionable demands for the government. We know where we want to go. We know the direction we want to go. And just just for our listeners here, here are the five demands that have been uh, number one is the immediate release of all arrested protesters. That seems to already be happening because the people that are that are spearheading organization are working with lawyers to release protesters almost as soon as they're released within hours, and it's been incredible to see. Number two is the justice for all deceased victims of police brutality and appropriate compensation for their families. Unfortunately, um, because the, the the police force is so stubborn-headed. Unfortunately, there are still some protesters that are unfortunately being harmed in the cause of protesting that are being killed um, all over Nigeria. In Austria, I just heard that protesters were, were gone down by the security force of the government. <laughs> uh, just to let that sink in. But unfortunately, there, there's still harm being done to citizens till today. But we need justice for everybody, lives that were lost before this protest and as a cause of the protest. Number three is to set up an independent body to oversee the investigation and prosecution of all reports of police misconduct within 10 days. I think that's one thing that we haven't really seen. And number three really points towards accountability. Somebody needs to be held accountable for what's going on. Somebody needs to be punished. Somebody needs to, to... to let to to imbibe trust in Nigerian citizens again, and number four is that in line with the new police act, psychological evaluations and training um, to be confirmed by an independent body of all disbanded SARS officers before they can be redeployed. As Akedi already mentioned, the SARS as a unit was created in 1992 and supposedly be Expanded many times in the past 2017, I believe again in 2018, um, and again mm-hmm. in 2019, but they continue to exist, right? And regardless of if they're disbanded, what ha- what could happen is they could just go and join another unit and continue their crimes there because nobody's punishing them, right? It's like when you just slap a child on his wrist and he goes on to do what he because it does not it doesn't understand the implications of the harm. They've become desensitized almost almost to the to to the harm and the evil that you're doing, even if it's just in in the terms of bribery. And number five is to increase police salary so that they're adequately compensated for protecting lives and properties of citizens. I think number five is not to diminish the role of police or of or police type units in countries, but to point to the fact that some reason why police um, bribe people, take money from people, 
and things like that is because they're not adequately compensated. Should this be reason enough to kill people? No, it shouldn't because in Nigeria it's a well-known fact that most people are underpaid. You know, so it's not just it's not a symptom of the police alone. It's general across the board. Um, but I guess number five is pointing to the fact that they do deserve to be well compensated for risking their lives to protect people's lives if they do start to protect people's lives in the first place. Um, and so all I, I read all these demands out to just point to the fact that this protest is not in, in any way, you know... It's um, not rudderless. Uh, it's not in any way uncoordinated. Yes, it's not rudderless. Mm-hmm. It has a direction. And I, I feel like these are easy enough demands to be met. Um, and why we keep having to hamper day and night and our government just proves that they don't... Shows how little care they have in the first place for citizens. Um, what, what do you guys think? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm already heated. I just want to go on. That's... that's Corridor, please go ahead. I mean... I'll, I'll share closing thoughts after you. Like... I mean, I've got to say, like... The, 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 the kind of like perspectives we're getting on the ground now, like even from from people like us talking to our parents, talking to people in the older generation, you're either getting at least some degree of support or even amongst people who claim to be interested in in like national progress, some perspectives that, oh, maybe protests are not the best way or, or let's not block the roads or, or kind of just this this attitude of, of watering down the mission in the name of civility or something like that. And really, there's no space for that. Like, we're not really, we don't really exist in that. That's not what our circumstances, we realize that what we have to do with here is very urgent. And like, we're talking about lives being lost here and, and like our dignity and our future as a nation, really, like, especially for us young people. Um, um, and, and like, it's crucial to understand how important just pure mass agitation is. Like, um, we can't, policy and and courteous like use consciousness to get our way out of this situation like not 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 under these conditions at all um i mean we're talking about politicians like the president who like effectively is disregarding much of this like they they they, they apparently are banning SARS and then we're still seeing killings in our know, states it's still happening that the government governor is still sending sending security forces to kill people there's so much violence and he's still trying to prosecute protesters on top of that. Um, like, the fight definitely isn't done. And, and what we really need, I feel like there's still a lot of people. Or we still, there's still a huge base of people who, who potentially could give a lot to this. But I guess I'm convinced that, that like, this, this is a rather, maybe a crude way to go about this sort of thing or something like that. Um, and really, I mean, I like I'm not I'm not following anyone to do like savior or trying to figure out a very specific, like elaborate way to get this problem solved. Like we just have to have to push. Like the movement has started, and, and we have to go with it. But that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. I want to commend the efforts of. Sorry, I, I was going to say, I want to comment the efforts of those who have really been involved in spearheading the organization of the moment. The Feminist Core Group, which is a feminist organization uh, full of women, women leaders, um, FK Abudu, Machivius, um, uh, uh, Tola, uh, all the lawyers, all the people that are essentially 
taken out of their day jobs to do this work pro bono right they're not getting paid they just want to they want to see as much progress as they do and i think for every listener in school regardless of if you're nigerian or not there is something to be done uh, to help spearhead the movement if it's even just in raising awareness letting people know because i think a big part of what we need is international coverage we all know our government doesn't like to be embarrassed. And once they start to see signs of embarrassment, they start to shuffle, at least begin to shuffle their feet. So we almost need international coverage so that they can get to be embarrassed. There is also donation links available uh, through the Feminist Core social media pages. They have a website as well where you can go and donate money. Initially, donations were collected in the form of actual like, cash payments. But we saw that the CBN is blocking those channels, so now they are being collected from the Bitcoin <laughs> in Nigeria. Yes, people are doing it. Do it though, exactly. It's really easy to set up. It's it's really effective. It's really easy to set up, and you can donate from Bitcoin from any point in the world. And it just it shows the amount of energy Nigerians have towards actually making this possible, to not giving up, to finding different avenues. We shut this one down, we create more. But you know, when um saw that talks were beginning to attack the protesters, that's when the uh, the feminist court arranged for for uh, for private um, security forces, you know, around the, the the protest. So we see that they've wherever they've created obstacles, somehow the movement has overcome it. You know, and it's it's really just can't I can't say enough of how fantastic it is to be seeing this and to be experiencing this in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, kudos to the, the folks doing work in, in remarkable ways all across all across the country, helping organizing it truly is inspiring to do um i'm i'm inspired like i said originally by this movement i'm hoping for the best moving forward and i'm looking to i'm looking looking forward to other ways we can contribute and effectively progress change moving forward the key part about all this is that we're asking for our leaders and for the people in charge the people with power to be accountable today it's the police but i think this this theme of accountability will run through and we can, if we keep our foot on the pedal, we'll run through and make our country a better place. Um, listeners, thank you for coming in and listening to Pop Save Africa. We know this episode is a little thank longer you. than we promised, but these are incredible, incredibly critical issues that needed to be discussed all across our continent. People fighting and advocating for better things and saying that here's what needs to be done. Um, it might have seemed like a downer of an episode, but the truth is that if anything, it is positive because our people are standing up. We're saying enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And that we're saying we're fighting so that our children don't have to fight the same fight, so that our children don't have to be in the streets marching. Um, thank you for listening. This has been Akende Adirale on Kosala and Corridor with Port Save Africa. Thank you. Bye.